I want to ask you to take your Bibles, please. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. You hear a lot of talk these days about change, and people talk about change. We talk about change in the church. We talk about change in our society. We talk about change in styles. Is there anything about you you would like to change? I'm not talking about a nose job or a tummy tuck. I'm talking about real change. Somebody say, well, you hadn't seen my nose. Well, that's uh, whatever. I I'm talking about real substantial change. I heard about this lady uh, named uh, Mildred. She's 75 years old, and she was talking to the Lord one day, and she said, Lord, I just I need to know how much longer I'm going to live. And the Lord said, well, Mildred, you're going to live another 35 years. She said, Lord, 35 years. I'm 75 years. If I'm going to live another 35 years, I've got to get myself together. So she joined a health club. She bought an ab roller. She bought a treadmill. She got a bicycle. She started aerobics classes. She did everything she could. She went to a plastic surgeon, got her eyes fixed, so she looked surprised all the time, and uh, <laughs> got her nose fixed, got her, got her lips fixed, got her chin fixed, got everything fixed up, you know, so she'd look different, and dyed her hair auburn so she'd look real spiffy and all new and look younger and everything. And she got to looking at herself. She said, you know, with this new younger look, I got to get some new younger clothes. So she went out and got her some new younger clothes, and she had her arms just full of bags and boxes and everything else, and she's taking those clothes, and she's walking across the street to get in her car, and she got hit by a truck and it killed her. She got up to heaven. She said, Lord, I don't understand. You told me I'd live 35 more years. I go get all fixed up, get myself in shape, get everything done, and I get run over and hit by a truck. What's the deal? And the Lord said, Mildred, I didn't know that was you. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Who, me? No, I haven't had anything. <laughs> oh, man, we go to seminars and we buy tapes and we get self-help books and we get all this information on how we can change. You know what the problem with all of it is? It gives us information, but it doesn't provide the power to do it. You see, we know what we're supposed to do, but we just don't have the power to do it. The word power appears 57 times in the New Testament. You hear sermons about resurrection power and Holy Spirit power and the power of God and the, the power of revival, and yet most of us know that Christians, on the whole, seem to live in graveyards instead of with resurrection power. They don't live with the power of God manifested on their lives, with the power and authority of the Holy Spirit evident and reigning in their lives. What I want to talk to you about this morning is how you have the power and how to access it. Because you don't need another sermon on information. You need something to help you get access to the power that is available to you through Christ. Now, it's interesting. We have a hang-up in our society of books on spiritual gifts, and we hear a lot about spiritual gifts. Well, the truth of the matter is the Scripture says a great deal about spiritual gifts. But the essence of Scripture is the fruit of the Spirit. You see, when Jesus spoke his last sermon on the eve of his death, 
He talked about bearing fruit. He never talked about spiritual gifts. He said, you're supposed to go out and bear fruit. When Paul talked about spiritual gifts, and he talked about them extensively, Paul talked about them in the essence of a holy life. You and I are to bear fruit, and the Spirit-filled life is a life of bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Now, Paul talks about those in Galatians chapter 5. We're all familiar with Galatians 5 and verse 23, which says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And yet sometimes we stop reading there and forget that after verse 23 comes verse 24, and after verse 24 comes verse 25, which says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, here's something you need to understand. You can be using your spiritual gift and be carnal, but the fruit of the Spirit is a character trait. It is a lifestyle. It is an, a part of who we are. You can exercise your spiritual gift and not be spiritual, but you cannot exhibit the fruit of the Spirit without walking in the Spirit. So I want to pick up in verse 16, and I want us to read Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, that you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. What I want to talk to you about in this series of messages is not you getting God's help, but you getting all of God's Spirit. Inside of you, already resident, already there, but maybe not reigning. You see, we hear people say, oh, God, help me, oh, God, help me. Listen, God will do something better than come alongside you and help you. God will empower you from the inside to live His kind of life. It's not even about being Christ-like. It's about Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what Paul is trying to tell us here and what Scripture tries to teach us is that there are some things that Christ did at the cross. When Christ went to the cross and died, when He was raised from the dead, when He ascended to the Father, when He sent His Holy Spirit down to us, there are at least three things that He did. This is not an all-inclusive list, but it'll cover part of it. First of all, He cancels your past sin. When He said, it is finished, it was over. The penalty and price for sin had been paid. You are no longer guilty. If you have received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are no longer guilty of your sin. God has taken your guilt and transferred it to His Son. You are no longer under judgment. You're now under grace. Your sin has been washed away by the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. 
First thing he does, he cancels your past sin. The second thing he does is he empowers you to conquer your problems. Now, how many of you got a problem? Now, I'm not talking about the person that's sitting by you. I'm just talking about just a, a problem. How many, so every one of us got problems. Only people who don't have problems are in cemeteries, and they've got different kinds of problems than we have. Everybody has a problem. I've talked to people before, and I say, well, how are you doing? They say, oh, I'm doing pretty good under the circumstances. So, well, what are you doing under there? It's like sleeping under your mattress. How are you doing under there? Not sleeping too well. Why don't you get on top of the mattress? You'd sleep a little bit better. That's what it's made for. People have problems. But what God is trying to do is to get us to quit trying how to see how we can figure out how we can stop our problems and start trusting Him in our problems. There are people in this room that I've watched you through the years, and God has taken you through peaks and valleys, and He's taken you through wilderness experiences, and you've learned in those experiences to trust God and to not try to solve it. And you've learned that phrase that all of us have to learn, I'm not in control. I can't control my problems. I can't control when they come. I can't control when they go. I can only give it over to the one who can control it. The second thing God does is He gives you the ability to conquer your problems. The third thing He does is He gives you the ability, He empowers you to control your personality. I heard about a woman who said that she couldn't live with her husband anymore because he's too temperamental. The counselor said, what do you mean? She said, well, he's 90% temper and 10% mental. One lady went to the counselor with her husband and they were getting counseling over their marriage and, and, the, and the preacher said to him, look. He said, you said you were going to take her for better or worse. And the guy said, listen, I didn't know it was going to get to be this worse. You see, God helps us with our personality. I worry about people who say, well, that's just the way I am. Are you a new person in Christ? Do you claim to have the Holy Spirit of God residing in you? Do you claim to be a person who has been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? Then God has saved you to change you. Now, it doesn't mean that you will quit being an introvert and start being extroverted. I'm talking about those little personality quirks that are a part of ourself away from God. God says, I can give you power to control that. I can give you power to conquer that. You won't react the way you used to react. You won't do the things you used to do. You won't think the way you used to think. I'm going to give you a new heart and a new mind and a new process by which you function. And when I give you that, I'm going to give you control over your personality. Now, there are three reasons that you don't have control over your personality. One is pride. You just don't want God to change you. I like myself the way I am. Why don't you do an opinion survey of all your family and friends and see if they like you the way you are? Pride. Well, I just speak my mind. Are you sure you can afford to be so generous? You know, the lady came to Vance Havner one time and said, I'd just like to give you a piece of my mind. He said, ma'am, looking at you, I don't think you can afford to. And pride. Pride says, I don't want to change or I don't need to change. Second reason why God doesn't get control of our personality is complacency. We just get complacent. We just say, you know, I, I just don't want to work at the Christian life. I, I don't want to work at being better. I just kind of want to be right where I am, doing what I'm doing, and we never mature, and we never grow, and we never change, and we never develop. And the third reason is procrastination. I'm just going to put it off. I'll do that later. 
I'll do that later. Listen, God has empowered you by His Holy Spirit to change your personality. Oh, man, look at the disciples. Cowards, timid, afraid, in the upper room, praying, almost hoping nothing would happen so they wouldn't have to go out. They ran for their lives at the crucifixion, and the Holy Spirit came down on them, and they preached with boldness, and they said, we can't help but say what we have seen and heard. What happened to them? The power of the Holy Spirit changed them. No longer timid, but bold in their personality. No longer afraid, but excited about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. God changed them all because the Holy Spirit got inside of them. They didn't go to a class. They didn't go to a seminar. They didn't read a how-to book. They just got the Holy Spirit, and He changed them. Now, there's a battle that's going to happen when you do that. The world doesn't want to see you exhibit the fruit of the Spirit because, quite honestly, the world has seen an exhibition of the fruit of the Spirit. It was in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ manifested the completeness and the fullness of the Holy Spirit and every evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in His earthly ministry. And you know what the world did? The world sized Him up and said, we don't like that, we'll kill Him. So the world doesn't want you to have the fruit of the Spirit. The devil doesn't want it because he wants you to live according to the deeds of the flesh. And your flesh resists it because your flesh dies hard. I want to ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, and I want you to see where part of this battle takes place. Philippians chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out, notice what he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, notice the contradiction apparently in verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, that doesn't make sense. I'm supposed to work out my salvation, and then it's God is at work in me both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Is that a contradiction? No, it's a paradox. It's a paradox. What, what Paul is doing, he, he's taking the truth and he's standing it on its head to get your attention. Notice what he says. He says, work out. He does not say, work for. Same thing James said. The best commentary on Scripture is Scripture. James says, faith without works is dead. There should be some evidence. There should be some fruit. Something should be happening in our lives that gives evidence that God is working in us and through us, and it's being worked out what God is working in. Every day you ought to ask yourself the question, God, am I allowing you to work out what you've been working in? Am I allowing you to work out what you've been working in? What you put inside of me, is it flowing out of me? Paul says, it's God who works in you. Now here's the key. God provides the power but you control the switch. God provides the power, but you control the switch. You have to turn the switch on. You see, God's not going to manipulate you and force you to walk in the Spirit. He says there's something you've got to do. You have to work out your salvation. You have to give evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, evidence of walking with God. In other words, the spiritual life is to be cultivated. Some of you have worked on farms before. You know what it takes to cultivate a crop. 
It takes work and it takes time and it takes energy and it takes sweat and it takes discipline and it takes planting in the proper times and sowing in the proper times and you have to reap and sow and plant and water. It's a cultivation process. God is cultivating us into the image of Jesus Christ. And so, here's what he says. He says, our beliefs show up in our behavior. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because this would be too embarrassing and too convicting, but how many times have you heard somebody say, I'm a Christian, and you said, well, if their beliefs show up in their behavior, their walk and their talk don't match. You know, the walk and the talk are supposed to match. It's not just enough to say I am. I'm supposed to show that I am. There's supposed to be fruit in my life that gives evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, there is an unholy trinity that battles against us. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who are on our side. We have an unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil, who battle against us. We all know what the world is. That's not the cosmos. That's the world system. The world system that is opposed to organizing itself according to the principles and precepts of God's Word. Then there's the flesh. Now, the flesh is where the devil and the world system appeal to. But John talks about it in 1 John. He says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The flesh, boy, I tell you, it, it's, it's my flesh that, that gives me problems. Turn, if you would, to James chapter 1. I want you to see what James says about this because this ties in so much to chapter 5 and verse 16. And I want you to hold your place in Galatians 5, 16 and go to James chapter 1. Martin Luther thought that James and Paul contradicted themselves. The truth of the matter is they complemented each other. They just looked at the truth in different ways, but they came to the same conclusions. James says in chapter 1 and verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Now, I want you to notice a little phrase here. When he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. You see, nobody makes you sin. So, well, I acted like that because of the way they treated me. No, you acted like that because your own lust, you wanted to act like well, I got involved with another person instead of my wife or my husband because they enticed me and, and they seduced me and they played up to me and they told me the things I wanted to hear. No, you just succumbed to your own lust. Don't blame them. It's your fault. David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done what is evil in thy sight. He didn't say, well, if Bathsheba hadn't been taking a bath out there just naked as a jaybird, I would have never looked at her and I'd never lusted after her. He said, no, God, I sinned. I looked, I chose, I brought her in, I slept with her, I sinned. She didn't make me sin. I chose to sin. Now, you and I have to come to the realization that we choose to sin. Nobody makes us sin. Nobody makes us angry. Nobody makes us unforgiving. Nobody makes us bitter. Nobody makes us jealous. Nobody makes us envious. We choose to be that way. And if we don't understand that, we'll play the blame game all of our lives. It's somebody else's fault. But God says it's our fault. 
We've been enticed by our lust. And what happens? We start thinking about it. We start meditating on it. And then it brings forth sin. And then it brings forth death in our lives. Now, how do we get victory over that? Turn to chapter 5 and verse 16. Galatians 5 and verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, just somewhere in your margin, write James 1, 13 through 15 by Galatians 5, 16, and write Galatians 5, 16 by James 1, 13 through 15, because Paul is telling you how you overcome this. You walk. That is a present tense word. It means keep on walking. In fact, a good way to translate it is you walk by means of the Spirit. You walk by means of the Spirit. Then you will not carry out the lust of the flesh. In other words, you won't fulfill or bring to completion your fleshly desires. What will happen is there will be temptation. You will be enticed, but you will not let lust conceive. You will not let it give birth to sin. You will not let sin accomplish its fact, and that will not bring death. You'll stop it. When you walk by means of the Spirit, you stop the temptation before it becomes sin. You never let it accomplish its goal in your life. Now, just because the carrot's hanging out there doesn't mean you have to chase it. You know, you can't control what bird flies over your head, but you can control which one builds a nest there. And you and I have to come to the point of realizing that God has empowered us by walking, present tense, personal conduct in and by means of the Spirit, then we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what does that mean? That means that victory in the Christian life is not about struggling, it's about submission. It's not about you gritting your teeth and trying harder. It's about submitting, about just walking by means of the Spirit. Lord, I can't walk, but you can. I can't do this, but you can. Now look at verse 17. For the flesh, here's the battle, the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. You see, Paul delineates between the flesh and the Spirit. The deeds of the flesh, the works of the flesh, and the fruit of the Spirit. Look at verse 16. He talks about the lust of the flesh. It goes back to James chapter 1. You're enticed by his own lust. And then in verse 19, the works of the flesh. What's happened? The lust has conceived and given birth to sin. And the works of the flesh are the birth products of the sin that has been conceived in our life because we yielded to the lust. He says there's the lust and it leads to the works. But then he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Now let's just talk about what lust is. The lust of the flesh is the longing or the desire. It's just the long, it's the temptation. It's the longing or the desire. The works are the results of yielding to the longing. The results of yielding to the longing to sin. Now, here's what Paul says. He says these works are evident. That means they're manifest, they're obvious. The world, the flesh, the devil. Two reasons why I know the devil is real. Number one, the Bible says he is. That's really the only reason I need. Number two, I've had to battle him. I know the devil's real because I've had to battle him. Because the devil works to spoil your life and to sour your relationship with God. 
If you want to know what the devil's up to, now that you're saved, now that you're walking with God, and now that you have transferred ownership of your life and you changed your destination from heaven to hell, he tries to spoil and to sour your life, to ruin your testimony. And the devil is always going to be working those areas. And guess what? He appeals to the flesh to do it. Now, here's where the blessing comes in. The battle and the blessing kind of flow together. My flesh is my Achilles heel. My flesh is where the devil gets a beachhead in my life. It's where he gains ground. It's where the fight is determined. Between the flesh and the spirit, my flesh makes the decision. I decide. The devil doesn't make me do it, regardless of what Flip Wilson said. The world's not forcing itself on me. It's trying to conform us into its image. But we are to be transformed by the renewing of our what? Mind. It's the flesh where the battle is fought. And so my number one problem is not the world. It's not the devil. My number one problem is the flesh. Now, look at verse 16. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, that literally means you will not in any way carry out the desire of the flesh. Oh, man, if I could just live five minutes and not carry out the desires of the flesh. How, how many of you think you can live five minutes? Just that God has enough power to give you the ability to live five minutes and not carry out the desires of the flesh to walk in spirit. How many of you believe God has power to do that? Now, if he can do it for five minutes, you think he can do it for ten? If he can do it for ten minutes, you think he could, oh, man, stretch it like 30. And, man, if he could do it for 30 minutes, you know, I, I might just, I, I make it live a whole hour just walking in the spirit by means of the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, set free by the Spirit of God. I, I could live, well, maybe if he could do it an hour, maybe he could do it, oh, I don't know. You know, on a good run when you're away from everybody you don't like and on vacation or something, he might could do it for, for a week. I mean, a whole week. Like, from a Sunday to a Sunday. And not have to come to church with a bunch of baggage and a bunch of junk that we got to get right for. We just kind of walked in the Spirit all week. Well, gosh, you think if you could do it for a week, you could do it for a month? If you could do it for a month, you think you could do it for a year? You see, God didn't put a stopwatch on the filling of the Spirit and on the walking in the Spirit. God said, you can live like this. You can walk by means of the Spirit. Now, I want you to notice something. When he says live by the Spirit, he's talking about salvation. How are you going to have life? You're going to have life by the Spirit. That's salvation. When he says walk by the Spirit, he's talking about sanctification. The process of becoming more and more like Christ. Now, the word for walk in verse 16 and the word for walk in verse 25 are two different words. The word for walk in verse 16 means to walk around in the sphere, in the atmosphere, in the realm of the Spirit. Lord, I want to walk around with a sense of and a desire and a longing and the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. You know what that means. Those of you that have been saved for any length of time, you know what that means. Just kind of walk around in the overflow and the joy and the outflowing of the inflowing of the Holy Spirit. It just kind of takes you along. I mean, you just kind of feel like you're just kind of floating. Now, 
The word for walk in verse 25 is a different word. It means to put one foot in front of the other. Now, let me just kind of paint the picture here. I'm walking along and I've said, Lord, I want to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. I want everything you've got for me. I want your Holy Spirit to take control of me. And I want to live in the realm of the Spirit. And we come to church, boy, and all of a sudden, boy, God just hits us. And, man, mm, oh, it's good. Oh, well, we're praising God and we're crying and we're thanking God. And we're hugging each other and we've just forgotten all our life's problems. And we're just in the realm of the Spirit. And guess what? When you leave church, guess what you've got to do? You've got to walk out the door. Now, how do you do that? Well, the ushers take you under your arms and just kind of drag you, throw you in your car and leave you there like a wet rag for the rest of the week. No. You get up from where you are, you pick up your stuff, and you say, right foot, take a step. You step. Now, if you're just standing there, you just took a step. If you're walking, what happens with the left foot? Help me here. <laughs> walking. So I'm living in the realm of the Spirit. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to take control of my life. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to use me. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to be evident in my life. And while I'm doing it, I'm walking through life. I'm going to the grocery store. I'm going to the laundry. I'm going to the drugstore. I'm picking up my kids at school. I'm going to ball games. I'm doing all kinds of things. And I'm walking in the Spirit because one step at a time in day-to-day -day activities and minute-by-minute -minute actions, as I walk in the realm of the Spirit, then God empowers me. It's not me saying, golly... Come on, foot. Go. Please. Yes. Oh, that's over. No. As God says, I'm giving you the ability to walk in the realm of the Spirit, and I'm going to give you the ability to walk every step of your life by the Spirit. God has given each of you the ability to do that. That's not for preachers. That's not just for missionaries. It's for everybody that calls on the name of the Lord and the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of them. God has given you the power to walk. It doesn't mean it had to have anything with jumping pews or rolling down the aisles. It has to do with just getting out and living your life in this dirty world and saying to the world, there is something that has impacted my life so much that I can walk in the midst of a dirty world and I don't have to pick up the dirt of the world. I can just keep walking on with God. Now, here's the key. The Holy Spirit's the only one capable of giving you the power to do that. Just try to walk on your own. You, you remember when you... No, you don't. I don't either. But I remember when my kids first learned to walk. You remember when your kids first learned... Those of you who are parents that haven't forgotten. You, you remember when your kids first learned to walk? You know, they kind of got up and they kind of... You know, we, we kind of revert back to that when we get older, don't we? We're just kind of feeling like that right now myself. But, I mean, you know, they take these little steps, but you know what they do? They walk with their hands out towards you or their hands up towards you. You know why? They want you to catch them when they fall. You know what God wants? God wants you to remember what it's like to take baby steps when you didn't strut your way through life, when you knew that you could fall and you knew that it could hurt. And you always held your hands out to daddy or mama because you knew that they'd catch you and keep you from falling. And God says, just walk with your hands extended out to me. Take one step at a time. And when you're about to stumble, as you stay in the realm of the Spirit and as you walk by means of the Spirit, 
I'll make sure you don't stumble and fall. There's no temptation that's come to you, but it's common to man. But God has made a way of escape. God wants you to walk in the realm of the Spirit. He wants you to walk daily with the Spirit. Now, that means that you determine if you're going to have fruit in your life or not. I know the battle is the Lord's, and I also know that we're to fight the good fight of faith, and that's what Paul talked about in Philippians 2, 12, and 13. But you determine who wins the fight. And when you decide that it's the Holy Spirit of God that's going to take residence in you and He's going to make a difference in your life, then you've made the choice for the blessings of God to be on your life. Now, can I just give you a quick balance? It is spirit activity and human response. God says, this is what I will do for you. I will empower you to walk by my Spirit but you're going to have to respond to the promptings of my Holy Spirit. You're going to have to listen to me and walk with me. You have to make the choice. The Spirit activates it, but you have to respond to it. It is what God works in us and what we work out. It is in and out and in and out and in and out. The Spirit, my responsibility. The power, my responsibility. God working in us so He can work out of us and make us what we could never be trying to figure it out on our own. Just trying to gut it out and flesh it out and hope that we do better the next time and make a bunch of, bunch of resolutions. Paul says, we are to walk in the Spirit, then that conquers the flesh, verses 19 through 21. And we are to walk in the Spirit, and that produces fruit, verses 22 and 23. Now, we don't have time to go into all this, but let me just kind of sum this up real quickly. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of indwelling. You say, well, how do I know I'm saved? Because you give evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, it's not nine fruits. It's one fruit with nine manifestations. Uh, it's kind of like, I love to get lifesavers. Anybody here like lifesavers? I don't like the circles. I still haven't figured out how to get those circles, out, the little holes. I, just, I like lifesavers. You know, you open them up, and it's usually a red or an orange on top. Well, now, if you want to get in a fight with me, you go for the pineapple. I mean, don't, you know, when you offer lifesavers, you notice anybody offers lifesavers, they never offer the lifesaver to you that they want. <laughs> they don't like the green ones, and they say, want a lifesaver? You say, the pineapple's right in there. You can't have the pineapple. I just ask you, you want a lifesaver? You take the one on top, and you don't get any of them. <laughs> you see, they're all different flavors, but they're all called lifesavers. One fruit, nine manifestations. Now let me just break it down for you real quick. Love and joy and peace has to do with our relationship with God. When he talks about patience and kindness and goodness, he's talking about how we relate to one another. And when he deals with faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, he's talking about self-mastery. You know what walking in the Spirit is about? It's about being right with God, right with others, and right within yourself. And the fruit of the Spirit gives us the ability to be right with God, right with others, and right within ourselves. 
And so it is the manifestation of the character of Jesus Christ. Not fruits, but fruit. Let me ask you something. If somebody examines your life and you claim to be a Christian, is there evidence that you've been transformed? That something significant has happened inside of you? That something has changed about you? Oh, I'm going to tell you something, folks. God's got all kind of fruit that He wants to produce in your life. It's the fruit of souls. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of another Christian. But I'm going to tell you, none of the other fruits will begin to give evidence in your life until the fruit of the Spirit takes over. Until you're filled with the love of God. And when people look at you, they say, you know, I can understand how God could love me because I see how God's loved them. You know, I could understand how people could have joy in the midst of their problems because I've seen these people have joy in the midst of their problems. I could see how Jesus Christ could be real because I've seen the peace that God's given these people that I don't have in my life. I see the kindness and the gentleness and the self-control and, and all the things that are going on in their life, and I have but one conclusion to make. Most people have something inside of them that I don't have. Let me ask you, as you get up and walk out of this place, do people look at you and think there's something inside of you that they don't have? If you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives in you. But you've got to turn the switch on. The power's there. It's connected. But you have to flip the switch so that the power can come out. Thank you for watching the Sherwood Hour from Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. We would enjoy hearing from you with your comments or how we may be able to meet a need in your life. If you'd like to get in touch with us, just write to the address that you see on the screen or call us at area code 912-883-1910. That's area code 912-883-1910. Now, if you'd like a copy of today's message, just call us or request it by mail. Be sure to ask for the tape number that you see at the bottom of your screen. Once again, we are delighted that you've joined us for the Sherwood Hour today and invite you to join us again real soon as we worship the true and living God together.